This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. Can people hear me? Yes. 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 I'm a little far away. This is a pretty improvised setup. I'm sitting on the landing of uh, the upstairs of our house, and uh, my computer's propped up on a pile of books. So um, thank you all for being here this morning. And uh, I'm very grateful actually to be with you and to have the opportunity to make some kind of offering today. And I hope it's helpful. Um, it's been very helpful to me uh, to prepare it, uh, to think about what to say under these circumstances. So um, my gratitude to all of you. Um, uh, some of you know that this talk was supposed to be given um, after a ceremony <laughs> today, right now, um, which was supposed to invite me to my seat in the Zendo uh, at Austin Zen Center as a tanto uh, or head of practice. Um, and you know, three weeks ago with Bunkai, my husband, um, who's also a priest, I arrived in Austin after several days of driving uh, to live and practice here with you. Um, after 20 years at Chapel Hill Zen Center. Uh, so I left my Sangha and my root teacher 1,300 miles away um, and arrived here um, just as coronavirus was already wreaking havoc elsewhere. It felt like elsewhere <laughs> in the world. And uh, this was going on actually as we organized, uh, you know, divested of our, some of our possessions, made all the arrangements uh, to get here, packed, and, and we got here, you know, at the onset of the situation that we all now find ourselves in. You know, we were just embarking on settling into a, a new town, a new home, a new temple, and Sangha. So that's my personal context for this talk. Um, I want to say that I'm very honored and humbled to have been invited by Mako to take up the responsibility of Tanto, you know, one that she herself held here for some years. So a tough act to follow. <laughs> um, and as it's not possible to meet with you face to face, I am very happy uh, to be able to offer at least this talk. Um, but I wanna mention that I'm also available to anyone in the Sangha who would like to meet uh, in practice discussion or you know, less formally even than practice discussion. And even if you don't know me, haven't met me, um, please feel free to contact me directly to set that up online if you would like to. Um, all the other aspects of my formal role will just have to wait. So, you know, it took nearly a year of visiting and discerning to get here, and now uh, it's on hold. <laughs> um, we have all hit the pause button with so many others. So what I want to talk about today for the rest of the time that we have is, um, what is this being on hold? I have myself experienced a feeling of disappointment to not be moving fully into this new, you know, imagined life. And on a more fundamental level, you know, I really miss sitting in a zendo. Um, I miss putting on my robes. Um, I miss chanting with you all. It was great to just do that little chant just now. Um, but it's not the same, right? It's just not the same. And I miss already some of the routines that Bunkai and I were just establishing, you know, our favorite coffee shop. We already had one. Uh, places to buy what we need 
and especially looking forward to all the activities planned by Austin Zen Center, all of which, pretty much all of which have now been postponed at the very least. And I have some fear and anxiety for myself and for others close to me and for the whole world. And I'm finding that tears come at unexpected times. For example, I was watching a video a few days ago of people singing to each other from their balconies in cities in Italy where I've spent a lot of time. And I just burst into tears. And I watched and listened to people all around me, in person and online, try to manage this new reality in various ways. Some with denial, some with defiance, some seeking only to save themselves and the people they think are important. Um, Some having great fear and aversion and many also with deep regard for the world and everyone in it. And some of us with all those things almost at once. So human beings dealing with change, with uncertainty, and with the loss of control, of freedom, and now in many cases of health, of life, and of livelihood. Now over a month ago, before I left Chapel North Carolina, my teacher offered me a monk leaving ceremony. And in this ceremony, the departing monk, that was me, offers incense, circumambulates the zendo while the assembly bows to them as they pass, and then the teacher makes a statement. Anticipating this, I had been thinking that the Tanto entering ceremony today, here, would be kind of like the balancing ceremony. You know, my departure from North Carolina would be over and my arrival would be marked here. But actually, from the very day of the so-called departure ceremony in North Carolina, everything was already pointing to a different understanding. So the night before my ceremony, a very senior practitioner and founder of our temple had died at age 95. And I had gone to see him and sit with him the week before as it became clear he was dying of double pneumonia, unrelated to coronavirus. And I have to say that in the midst of packing, part of me was thinking, I don't have time for this. But I did visit him several times in the week leading up to his death and my ceremony. And we had planned in accord with his wishes and those of his wife that his body would be prepared for a green burial and would arrive at the temple and uh, be be present in the temple for a period of time before his funeral so that people could sit with him, the Sangha could sit with him. But we didn't know when he would die, of course. And as it happened, he died the night before the ceremony of leaving. So that morning after Zazen, when we did my ceremony, my teacher opened her statement with the words, how does a homeless monk leave? Where does a homeless monk go? And a short while later, while the community was having a potluck and various people were chatting and offering me uh, statements of appreciation, I was returning those statements of appreciation, Howard's body arrived at the Zendo. And it was earlier than we expected. And many people in the Sangha didn't know that this would happen. There were a lot of people present for the ceremony and for the fellowship (laughs) that was taking place afterwards. 
So the arrival of a corpse was a shock. It seemed like a split screen or a revolving door, a gate, a double gate. Who was arriving? Who was leaving? Where indeed are any of us going? Howard's body entered the Zendo. People came and sat with him throughout that night, starting immediately as we cleaned up after the potluck. And my last duty as outgoing Eno the next afternoon was to organize the funeral, during which I read a passage from Zen Mind Beginner's Mind at the request of his widow. And then some days later, Bunkai and I hit the road. And at the time all this unfolded, I felt profoundly uncomfortable with the split screen. It felt very weird. But I came to see how really profound this manifestation of reality was. Timing, in a way, was perfect. And actually, we say, there is no coming and no going. In fact, one of the Buddhist titles is the Tathagata. And he referred to himself this way. And sometimes this title, Tathagata, is translated as one who has thus come, and sometimes as one who has thus gone. Tata means thus, or this. And gata is often translated as go or arrive. So someone who is thus arrived or thus gone. But I like the scholar Richard Gombrich's idea that gata as a suffix in Sanskrit signifies being. So Shakyamuni Buddha is one like this. He is beyond coming and beyond going. He is just this. Can we all be just this? Constantly going through this revolving gate. Can we face our fear? Can we find stability in the midst of not being in control? You know, because in truth, control is an illusion. Change and impermanence, of course, is the fundamental teaching of Buddhism. We are not only interconnected, we have no inherent, independent, stable existence at all. Insight into this truth is to begin to awaken. But it is a fundamental mistake in Buddhism to think that to glimpse this emptiness or interdependency is to think that nothing really matters or nothing really exists. Or just to navel gaze, you know, <laughs> to sit zazen stuck, stuck in emptiness is an error. True insight is accompanied by the arising of compassion, not nihilism, and not a sense of isolation. It is to experience everything as nothing other than self. You know, and I, this, um, reminds me of a koan from the collection called Muban Khan, or Gateless Gate. It's number 46 in that collection. Zen master Sikeso, who lived at the end of the first millennium of our era, Master Sikeso says, quote, from the top of a pole 100 feet high, how do you step forward? Now this koan, like all koans, stops our analytic response is not found there. And the koan uh, record says, a master said, step out beyond. 
and then you will see in the 10 distances of time and space your whole entire self. Another translation is to step forward and manifest the whole body in the 10 directions. Not worrying about falling, where we're going to land, or what's going to happen. Just step off the pole. Just this. Just suchness. You climb. Climb the pole, maybe for yourself. And then you jump for the benefit of the world. You know, and sometimes these koan teachings seem a little abstract. Um, so I, I want to turn to the teaching of Joan Halifax um, at Upaya Zen Center, um, who has identified what she calls edge states. Um, these are the five edge states. Altruism, empathy, integrity, respect, and engagement. Right? So altruism, empathy, integrity, respect, and engagement. She calls these five internal and interpersonal qualities that are keys to a compassionate and courageous life without which we cannot serve, nor can we survive. She calls them heart-mind assets that exemplify caring, connection, virtue, and strength. And she also warns, this is why she calls them edge states, that these positive states can become something like their near enemies. For example, empathy, or empathy for others' suffering, can morph into empathic distress. If we take on too much suffering of others, we can become paralyzed and we can't function. You know, burnout can damage compassion. So this balance on the edge is what she's advocating. And of course, these states are also themselves interdependent. Roshi Halifax says that Buddhist teaching is that altruism, compassion, can be totally free of ego, of small self, and that this is our true nature. And she says, and I'm quoting her here, through contemplative practice and ethical living, we can resist the pull of selfishness and come home to the place inside us that loves all beings and holds them in equal regard. The place that fearlessly aspires to end their suffering and is free of biases. It's the end of the quote. Now this seems to me to be excellent instruction and encouragement for meeting our current situation. This is to be concerned not only for ourselves or even, you know, throwing away our concern for ourselves. Um, it's to go beyond both. Many people do not accept or want to accept limits to their routines. We've seen people hoarding food and supplies out of fear. We know that there are people who feel they are strong and they never get sick and it's not going to affect them or they simply accept risk and have a fatalistic view of the situation. You know, I saw somebody on a beach in Florida say, 20-year-old, you know, if I get sick, fine, you know, I'm not going to stop partying. But this is not to understand our true nature. Halifax Roshi relates this to a tenet of her Zen peacemaker's order, which is not knowing, which is, should be very familiar to us in Suzuki Roshi's lineage. Not knowing is to recognize the true vastness 
of the Bodhisattva vow to save all beings. And I'm going to quote uh, Roshi Joan again. Um, this has been making the rounds of Facebook recently, but it's a great quote. She says, really, we are always in free fall. It's not like we will find some moral high ground where we are finally stable and can catch those falling around us. It's more like we are all falling above the infinite groundlessness of life. And we learn to become stable in flight and to support others, to become free of the fear that arises from feeling unmoored. A resting place is not ground at all but rather the freedom that arises from knowing there will never be a ground. And yet here we are together, navigating the boundless space of life, not attached yet intimate. That's the end of the quote from Joan Halifax. Another Zen teacher, Cohen Franz says, to accept who you are, to accept your state, the world is to accept that you have a responsibility, one that is too big for there ever to be a way out. There is no other side. There is no point at which you have paid your debts. There is no moment at which you are permitted to regress. To admit to being an adult, to being Buddha, is to agree to what has always been your situation. So we face the unknown. We face not knowing. No, I don't know if it was the right thing to do, to move here <laughs> in the midst of all this at my age <laughs> with all of my circumstances, but I am here. There is no right thing. I'm here and I will try to serve. I am trying to find stability in falling and I hope we can all become free from our fear and learn to respond. And this does not mean to deny our everyday lived reality. There is sickness and death, suffering and selfishness and terrible difficulty for many. This may be new to many of us, but it is not new in human experience and not new for many places and people before this global outbreak showed us all our groundlessness, our true groundlessness. Can we meet it with compassion and service? I've spent a lot of my life in front of screens since computers went desktop nearly 40 years ago, and this is not my preferred way to be with you, but it's what we have right now. So I hope we can all find ways to honor where we are and still support each other, to serve each other. It is probably safe to say that things will never be the same. We don't know. In the Zendo, there is a scroll that says, everything changes, everything is connected. Pay attention. Well, everything has changed and there is nothing but connectedness and our attention has been gotten. Now, to not worry about the pole or holding on or what happens if we jump. We are falling. Roshi John says, why not embody the spirit of the bodhisattvas who have realized a mind and heart of fearlessness, wisdom, and compassion? Why not stand at the edge and take in the view? Why not do it now? So I want to end with her phrases that reflect the six perfections of generosity, virtue, patience, 
wholeheartedness, attentiveness, and wisdom, the six paramitas. So she says, may I be generous. May I cultivate integrity and respect. May I be patient and see clearly the suffering of others. May I be energetic, steadfast, and wholehearted. May I cultivate a calm and inclusive mind and so I can compassionately serve all beings. May I nurture wisdom and impart the benefit of any insights I may have to others. And I want to say for myself, my greatest challenge right now is not harboring ill will towards those with the power to serve and act out of wisdom and compassion and who do not. They are not separate from me. Thank you very much. Carl Stein, this is Dawn. I have a question, please. So I have isolated for two weeks now um, and will continue um, because I'm a senior with immune issues and cannot go out. Um, so someone like me who really wants to help, all my volunteer activities have been halted, etc. How can I do anything under these circumstances? I chant, but is there, or do you have any suggestions? I want to say, first of all, that those of us who are practicing isolation for, um, uh, you know, social isolation and or self-quarantine are doing something, you know, we're serving. Um, it is a compassionate other related as well as self-related activity to protect other people as well, you know, by isolating. And I, I heard you cough and I want to say I also have some immune issues and I'm, I'm also older. So I'm in a risk group and I, I fight every day with how much to go out or, and how much to be home. I'm not in quarantine, but you know, I, there's a part of me that wants to get out there. <laughs> I want to be in the temple. I want to be doing a lot of things. Um, so to, to be home is not not to serve. And to sit, to chant, to sit with the whole world, you know, it's, Dogen says one moment of zazen, right, permeates all space and time. So I think that is a really profound practice to be, to self-isolate and to, and to maintain social distance if you don't have to fully isolate. Um, and I think reaching out to others and sharing with other people, your experience um, is not helping in the ways maybe you're used to helping, but those ways are cut off for a lot of people. You know, I think we all just have to maintain our intention, our intention to be to, to be with all beings. Even to, you know, you can invite all beings on your cushion to be with you here, right here. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but um, uh, you know, I'm also here, happy to engage with you. One-on-one, um, -on -one if that is helpful to you, please just ask. Thank you, Torosan. And yes, it does help. Um, and I want to say thank you so much to the AZC and all involved for doing these Zooms. It is really so important. Thank you. 
It's a lot of people have put in a lot of effort to get this going, and I'm also grateful. Is there anyone else who'd like to share anything? Okay, we can do our chat. May our intention be 